Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Last month, a top Chinese tennis star posted on social media alleging that a senior member of the Chinese Communist Party had sexually assaulted her. 20 minutes later, the post had disappeared. And so had she. Now, to the growing concern over the whereabouts and safety of Chinese tennis player Peng Shuai. Naomi Osaka is among the growing number of fellow players who have raised their concerns with the hashtag Where is Peng Shuai? The worry about Peng Shuai's well-being coincided with a debate which was already underway about boycotting next year's Winter Olympics, which are being held in China. The Biden administration will not send any diplomatic or official representation to the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics and Paralympic Games. This week, the United States was the first to announce a diplomatic boycott of the Games. And the Women's Tennis Association announced in effect a sporting boycott of Chinese events. But what about the woman whose fate is so entwined with the politics of sport? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, the case of Peng Shuai and the problem of China. A few months ago, I wrote in my weekly Times column about why a sporting boycott of the Winter Olympics in Beijing might be justified. I was thinking about how to protest against Beijing's treatment of its Uyghur minority. I was part of a debate that was just beginning. But last month's disappearance of the Chinese tennis star Peng Shuai has raised yet again concerns about how China treats its own citizens when they criticise those in charge, this time locating those concerns in the sporting arena. Peng Shuai's situation has already led to the Women's Tennis Association pulling all its tournaments from being played in China. My name's Didi Tang. I'm the Beijing correspondent for the Times of London. Didi, can you first tell me who is Peng Shuai and what is she known for? She is a very, very good tennis player. She was the number one double player by the WTA. And tennis is gaining popularity here in China, especially after Li Na. And ever since then, the sport became really popular. And Peng Shuai is one of the few stars. Shuai Peng with a famous win. She's a household name. Beating the former world number one. So we have this very successful woman tennis star who many Chinese people know. And then she wrote something on Chinese social media app Weibo. Can you firstly remind us what Weibo actually is? And then can you tell us about what she wrote? 
Weibo is the Chinese version of Twitter. It's a microblogging site. It's a combo between Twitter and Facebook because Weibo allows you to write something really, really, really long, as in the case of Peng Shuai's post. So she went to the Weibo. She has a Weibo account, you know, verified. You know, that's her account. On the night of November the second, and in that post, she accused a retired Chinese politician of sexual abuse. This weekend, the Sunday Times published a translation of Peng Shuai's post. You'll be hearing lines from it as I discuss it with Didi. I know I can't explain clearly, and it's useless to say it anyhow. But I still want to let it out. Basically, she recounted her encounter with Zhang Gaoli, who used to be the vice premier of China. He approached her one day and invited her to dinner, and wanted to have sex with her. And in that post, she also revealed the affair did not start then. Actually, it started about ten years earlier. But then they ended the relationship before Zhang moved up to Beijing to become a member, one of the seven most powerful politicians in China. He was elected. Into the standing committee of the party's political bureau in 2012, and he was in that position for about five years. So that was about the time he reapproached Peng Shuai and wanted to restart the sexual relationship with her, and she didn't want that. She resisted. He started to trying to talk to her. You said that the universe is very, very big. The Earth is just a speck of sand in the universe. We humans are not even a speck of sand. You said so much more, just to make me let go of the burden of my thoughts. His point was like the universe is huge. You know, we're nothing. Don't worry about what's happening. Let's just have sex, right? <laughs> Human feelings are very complex, and she agreed. Emotion is a complicated thing, can't be explained clearly. From that day on, I once again opened my love for you. But then she said, the following three years. Has been very very miserable, and she felt she became distorted person, and she apparently did not like it at all. And she had some really interesting phrases, which may not strike a Chinese ear as being poetic. I don't know, but they certainly strike a, a Western ear as being poetic. Even if I'm courting self destruction, like throwing an egg against a rock or a moth darting into a fire, I will tell the truth about you. Those are pretty common, like phrases here in China. The moth drawn to the flame, and I think that shows her determination. After three years, she was fed up, and she was determined to tell the world what was going on. Because I think that was her way out to save herself. It was very unequal relationship. She was at the back of call of him. You have to remember, she also is on the top of her game, right? In the tennis world, she's someone that people admire for her talent. And then for her hard work, but at the same time, she had to submit herself to some guy's sexual whims. Do you have followers on Weibo like you have on Twitter? And did she have millions and millions of people who actually got to read it? I mean, I think probably millions of followers easily, given her stardom. But her post was so explosive, and it stayed there for about twenty minutes before the censors came in and deleted the post. Twenty minutes. Twenty minutes. Actually, I thought that was long for Chinese censors. Like, what were they doing? Were they sleeping? <laughs> Something like this. It should be gone like in five minutes. So actually, later on, people were speculating. Probably this post was political in nature because the censors deliberately 
allowed that post to live for 20 minutes. Most people did not see it. It was late on the night of November the 2nd. It was work day. But of course, some people, when they saw the post, they knew the sensitivity. They knew the significance of this post. Someone very quickly grabbed the screenshots. And then that's how this post got to live. Outside China, the screenshots, they were shared on Twitter. You can still see those screenshots. But in China, no, it disappeared. There were a lot of speculations on that night. My first instinct, which turned out to be wrong, was probably she had already left China for her to say something like this. It was so sensitive, and no one would have the guts to say something unless she already knew she was in a safe place. Now to the growing concern over the whereabouts and safety of Chinese tennis player Peng Shuai. The former world number one doubles champion disappeared from public view after accusing an ex-vice premier of China of sexual assault. That was November 2nd. No one has seen her since. Almost two weeks after the post was published on November 14th, the Women's Tennis Association, the main body of women's professional tennis, called for an investigation into Shuai's claim, saying in a statement, We expect this issue to be handled properly, meaning the allegations must be investigated fully, fairly, transparently and without censorship. That was the time when I realized for sure Peng Shuai was not outside China. She was here and nobody was able to get hold of her. And I think it was in the middle of the week, the CGTN, which is the international division, the, the arm of China Central Television, the state broadcaster, the CGTN tweeted an email message reportedly from Peng Shuai to WTA, assuring them of her safety and well-being. Chinese state television attributed this statement to Peng. The allegation of sexual assault is not true. I'm not missing, nor am I unsafe. I've just been resting at home and everything is fine. This was on November the 17th. The email in which she supposedly reassured the world she was not missing or unsafe had all the hallmarks of a fake. Not least the mouse cursor, bizarrely visible in the second line of text. I mean, the question was, how did the state TV get hold of a private email? And it was very clear, this message, even if it was written by Peng Shui, it wasn't written on her own will. And somehow this message was shared with the state media. And the state media, they released that message on Twitter, not in Chinese social media. Okay, this is interesting thing. The message was in English and it was posted on Twitter for the outside world to see and trying to dispel any kind of fears. For three weeks, the world has been asking a question. Where is Peng Shui? This looks like China's attempt to answer it. Then the editor-in-chief of a party-run newspaper, The Global Times, Hu Shijin, tweeted he was sure Peng would make an appearance soon. The videos released by state media over the weekend showed Miss Peng at a restaurant. The date, Saturday the 20th of November, is pointedly mentioned out loud five times. Wu Xinjin released a video, two clips of her going to a restaurant in Beijing with her coach and her friends. One video, you could see Peng Shui listening to the coach talking about sort of upcoming training plans. And she was smiling, she was nodding, but there was no sound from her. Like she was mm. there listening. She did not speak. Another one of her entering the restaurant, she looks happy, smiling, nothing wrong with her. Again, she did not speak. The questions were, how did we know it was in Beijing? It was a restaurant, could be any kind of restaurant. How could we know it was filmed on Saturday? 
not some other time. And then came Sunday. Dressed in white pants and a navy blue jacket, Peng Shuai waves to the crowd at a youth tennis tournament in Beijing. So this is something actually anyone can independently kind of cross-check. Video clips of Peng at the tournament were posted by China Open's official social media account within the Great Firewall China uses to block access to foreign websites and to censor online content. So people inside the wall, if they knew what was going on. They did say something. Ah,、oh, we're so glad to see that she was safe and she was well. And you know, she looked like skinnier, but looks like she's okay. She was in a good spirit.、Hmm. So that was like inside the wall. But outside the wall, of course, you know, there was another story, right? And people say we still don't know if she did this one totally out of her own will. If it wasn't against her will for her to stage those performances, that she was coerced. The questions, the fears, the concerns over her safety were still there, right? So Beijing had to come up with something else. So that came the call with Thomas Bach, the IOC president, the Olympic Committee president. IOC came to the rescue, <laughs> and as well they might, because the Olympic Games, the Winter Olympics, are in Beijing, so they have a big interest in this. Exactly. So you know, when we're talking about the upcoming Winter Games, it's very clear Beijing has the support from the IOC. I think Beijing has the full confidence that the Winter Games are going to go on, and that they will pull all the stops, you know, to make sure the game will、yeah. go on smoothly, successfully, and it will make everybody very happy, especially IOC and the sponsors.、Yeah. Let's not to forget about all the sponsors, right? <laughs> Didi, was the video of her talking in this call with Thomas Bach supposed to suggest she was well and she thought next year's Winter Olympics should go ahead? I also, in this case, in my opinion, okay, has been roped in by Beijing to lend legitimacy to Beijing's claim that Peng Shuai was safe and well, and I also played a very important role to say, look, we talked to her because I also basically played the role of outside, somewhat independent, right? Who came to have a conversation, a phone conversation with Peng Shuai, and you saw the image of her on the big screen having conversation with Thomas Bach. Supposedly, she spoke on her own to the IOC president that she was okay, and then that actually did help to dispel some of the concerns internationally. And IOC did come under criticism by some kind of rights groups that IOC should not be the accomplice. In Beijing's scheme to suppress the true voice of Peng Shuai, but here we are. IOC is there helping out. Last week, Steve Simon, the Women's Tennis Association CEO, announced the suspension of all tournaments in China and Hong Kong, telling CNN, "This is something we can't walk away from. If we walk away from this, we're basically telling the world that not addressing sexual assault with the respect and seriousness it requires is okay because it's difficult to do." Is it possible for you to measure what reaction from ordinary Chinese people has been to her post? No, not at all. As I say, the censorship here is really, really tight. The post was removed in twenty minutes, and I think I mentioned earlier on. Even when people knew what was happening, the members of public they did not even want to mention her name in their posts. So there was no meaningful discussion being generated here inside the firewalls because when you cannot even mention the name. How can you have any kind of meaningful conversation, right? And also the topics, like on social media, if it's involving Peng Shuai or Zhang Gaoli, the discussions have been censored. So I'll give the example of self censorship. So I have seen the screenshots. Some of my Chinese friends are asking me if I can share the screenshots with them. 
And we're talking about screenshots. We're not talking about actual posts. And I say, no, I'm not going to share the screenshots with you because I know the moment when I send those screenshots, I want the risk of having my account deleted, censored. Mm. I'm not going to want that risk. That's so interesting. So that's what you have to do. And then that later on, I've heard the stories about other people. They are trying to send the screenshots. What I heard is their accounts were okay. Their accounts were intact. But when they, they think they send the screenshots, but the screenshots have never gone through. Wow. Here in China, the censorship is so tight. And even if people sort of know what was going on, you cannot talk about it. And if you want to talk about it, there's no venue for you to talk about it unless you do in person, right, face to face. But that really doesn't generate any kind of public discussion. In fact, it's impossible to measure a popular reaction to what's happened at no. Payne Schweit. But we can do a bit more to measure mm. the international reaction to her post and right. her disappearance and her reappearance. You've talked about how the International Olympic Committee has, in effect, helped the Chinese government out a bit here. But the other thing that seems to be clear is that other sections of the world sporting movement, and indeed human rights movement, aren't buying the story at all. No, no. I think anyone who has been following Chinese politics will not believe the messages sent by Beijing that Peng Shui is safe and well. And in fact, appearing in those videos, right, probably is the fact that she is under a very tight control by Beijing. So that's actually is the evidence that she is not free. So you can also make that argument. Why would she, you know, call the IOC, the president, right? Why would she have to go to this restaurant with her coach? Why would she, you know, appear on the youth tournament? So all those things make the argument. Those things have been staged. She is in the hands of the party at this point. She's not really safe. Coming up. The disappearance of Peng Shui has led to calls for a boycott of the Winter Olympics to be held in China in February. But first... I'm Matt Lawton, and I'm the Chief Sports Correspondent at The Times. As sports journalists, it's important that we look beyond what we're seeing on the pitch, look beyond the action, and hold those in power to account. It's essential that we scrutinise, we ask tough questions, we investigate areas where we may believe there's corruption. We can only ask those questions, we can only pursue those kind of stories thanks to the subscribers at The Times and The Sunday Times. So subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Thank you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Thank you. 
On February the 4th next year, the Winter Olympics will begin in Beijing. But with talk of possible boycotts in light of Peng Shui's disappearance, I wanted to find out what form boycotts might take and what effect they might have. So I spoke to a colleague who just happens to be a former Olympian. Matthew Side is my name. I'm a columnist for the Times and the Sunday Times. But before becoming a writer in the dim and distant past that I struggle to recollect these days, I was a sportsman, uh, a table tennis player. I was a British number one for 10 years. I try always to remind readers of that wherever possible. I played <laughs> in two, two Olympic Games, one in Barcelona in 92. These are Summer Olympics, obviously, and then Sydney in 2000. There's a talk of a boycott of the Winter Olympics. Now, who is talking about it as far as you know, and what are they actually talking about? Governments have been contemplating it, and journalists have been writing about it, and various people have been inciting a boycott on social media. There's two distinct categories of boycott that have been mooted. One is what's called a diplomatic boycott, where, as I understand it, politicians and dignitaries of the kind that often go to these big sporting jamborees decline to go. This week, the United States announced a diplomatic boycott. So we wouldn't have our leading politicians in the stands at the opening ceremony and royal family members. That would be the diplomatic boycott, which would be a, a symbolic one. And we can perhaps debate the significance of that. The other, much more significant, is a sporting boycott. This is where the athletes don't turn up. And of course, that itself would make a mockery of the games. It would undermine its credibility. And I think it's probably fair to say that the Chinese Communist Party would be much more fearful of, of that second kind of boycott. How, as a former Olympian, do you feel about the prospects of an imposed sporting boycott? Because presumably what would have to happen is that governments would have to say to their athletes, please don't go, and if you do, you won't be representing us. I have a problem with that, because I think back to my days in table tennis, and I started playing at the age of eight, and you have dreams, of course, when you start playing a game, and you, you love it, and you're passionate about it, and you make sacrifices to play, and you don't go out with your friends. Instead, you go and train and work on your forehand and backhand and your, your defensive footwork. So these high points are the culmination of a massive journey that parents and coaches and many others in the support team will have contributed to. And for a government to then say, do not compete, or if you do, you will not be wearing the British colours, is a massive assault on that hard work and sacrifice. In terms of our containment of China, it needs to be a serious, interconnected, strategic approach rather than a signalling approach using sport and the efforts of athletes to make the point. I, I mean, even then, I'd want to look at the overall package, but I think that just using sport on its own would be a serious mistake and terribly, terribly unfair to sports people. I want to put a hard question to you about that. It might be unfair, but might it not also have much more effect I think if I could be convinced that the taking away of the sports people's opportunity for their big moment in the sun was going to have consequences that made a third world war less likely or repression in, in China less likely or, or would end sooner, then of course I, I might be persuaded. But I think it's highly unlikely that that would be the case. I think that it wouldn't have the effect that we hoped. The one that is usually cited as having had some success, although that 
was linked to other boycotts, such as uh, banking boycotts and so on, was of South African sport on the basis that actually it was segregated itself. It wasn't the society, it wasn't that the government had done something wrong, it was that the sport itself was run in a way that we found intolerable. The two things that I think are very significant there, one you've already mentioned, which is that there had been a politicisation of sport in South Africa. As you say, it was racially segregated. So these were not South African teams, they were South African white teams. And I do think that there's a a moral case for banning South Africa from playing in global competitions in those circumstances and for banning other athletes going to South Africa to play and to, in some ways, legitimate that kind of sporting apartheid. The other very significant thing is that white South Africans were very passionate and enthusiastic about sport. So that really did have teeth. I think you could make the case that it had a real impact on bringing the curtain down on apartheid slightly earlier than might otherwise have been the case. In that particular case, there is a case both for its effectiveness and for its moral imposition. Sebastian Coe, the head of the International Athletics Organisation, when talking about boycotts, more or less said, look, all big international sporting occasions are beneficial. If you go back into the history of sport, whether it's the 1936 Games of Jesse Owens, whether it's the Black Power Salutes, Uh, in 1968. Sport is a very powerful driver of integration and of change. To a lot of people's amazement, cited the Berlin Olympics of 1936, which most historians of the Nazi era, in fact probably all of them, would agree was a major propaganda coup for uh, Hitler and the Nazis. And I thought in the wake of that, actually, is this really true? Or in any era where politics and money and sport mix, isn't there a significant danger of the sport being exploited by the politics and the money to the benefit of people who we might not necessarily like at all? I agree with the historical consensus on the idea that um, the Nazi Olympics of 1936 did confer some kind of legitimacy upon Hitler and constituted, as you say, a propaganda coup. Nobody has you know, me included, has taken lightly the importance of of human rights. World Athletics has a a very detailed framework around that. But my instinct is that it's better to use these global opportunities, and the Olympic Games is arguably the biggest of them all, to make these points. But what about the general proposition, which is for almost any huge sporting event or, or huge sporting occasion... It is entirely a beneficial question. Sports, people meet each other, everybody kind of watches it. There's a concordance and amity of nations, and it's all good. No, I think it's clearly false. I think it's historically an incorrect analysis. I think to say that sport has always conferred moral benefits upon the world, I mean, it's a very strong thesis, but I, I don't think many historians would agree with it. Put it in the context of the IOC and the Beijing Winter Olympics. We've heard Didi Tang tell us that one of the ways in which the Chinese government appears to have deployed the Chinese tennis star Peng Shui, who otherwise had been quiet since she'd made a posting on social media about being uh, sexually molested by a high-ranking communist official, was by setting up a call between her and Thomas Bach, the head of the IOC. 
Now, under those circumstances, it looks terribly like the IOC was used by the Chinese government to whitewash its own actions. I agree with you, and I don't think that this is particularly surprising. The IOC has not always been the pure and pristine organisation that it likes to betray itself as. It was founded, I think, as a way of bringing nations together. But over recent decades, the IOC has been profoundly corrupted by uh, commercial self-interest. And there are many scandals that shows the, the IOC in its true colours. And I, I think this will, I hope very much, rebound upon the IOC. I think you're absolutely right. It, to a certain extent, it, it did the CCP's work for it. The Chinese Communist Party. Uh, so does that mean that you think uh, this new word that's going around sports washing, does that mean that you think this is now something that governments do? Well, I think there's no doubt that uh, d dictators in hosting a games and having the world come to compete in a festival like the Olympics or a, a World Cup, they're often seeking partly a, a global audience for the idea that their nation is fully integrated into the wider world, but also in certain circumstances, a domestic audience to show that they have legitimacy in the eyes uh, of the world. And of course, dictators are using the state's money for this advertising campaign. So they're effectively taking money from their own public that don't elect them to bolster their own legitimacy, which typically operates at the expense of the public. So there is something dubious about it. I completely agree. But remember... You know, most of what we do in the world today, you know, we do sell arms to governments that we don't like very much, that are not democratic. We trade with them. We buy goods for them. We sell cars to them. Globalization, obviously, is a fact of the modern world. But these states that, that many in the West won't particularly like, there is an intricate interconnectedness of which sport is one strand. I would just warn against making sport the only means through which dictators bolster their legitimacy in the eyes of their people and all the other themes that I just talked about. So, is China worried about a diplomatic boycott of the Olympic Games next year? I asked Didi Tang. No, I don't think so. When the US, I think, was the first one to propose to consider a diplomatic boycott, the Global Times, the party newspaper, came out to say, then why should we even bother to invite them? China hasn't really invited anyone other than Putin from Russia to come to the Games. And given the COVID-19 the situation, the list of guests being invited is going to be shortened anyway. And the Global Times basically came out to say, if they don't want to come, hey, actually they're doing us a favour. And it saves us the trouble of inviting them. On Monday, White House Press Secretary Jim Psaki announced a diplomatic boycott of the Games. The Biden administration will not send any diplomatic or official representation to the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics and Paralympic Games, given the PRC's ongoing genocide and crimes against uh, humanity in Xinjiang and other human rights abuses. To which the Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson, Zhao Lijian, responded... The actions of the United States seriously violate the principle of political neutrality in sports, as established by the Olympic Charter. China expresses strong dissatisfaction and is strongly opposed to the U.S.'s position. China has lodged solemn representations to the U.S. and will make resolute countermeasures. As far as the foreign ministry here is concerned, 
they have come out to say they have always stick to the lines. The athletes, they're the real star of the Olympic Games, and we have to respect the spirits of the Olympics. Let's not to politicize the games. Let the sport be sport. Let the politics be politics. So that's always the official line. In response to criticisms about his phone call with Peng Shui, Thomas Bach has said. The Olympics cannot solve problems that generations of politicians have not solved. That Peng Shui has been offered support in all areas and that experience shows that this silent diplomacy can work and produce results. That's why we will continue to pursue this path. In response to criticisms of the integrity of the IOC in recent years, the organisation said the IOC is fully committed to protecting the integrity of sport. As part of our reform programme, a new, strong and comprehensive good governance system of the IOC has been introduced with stronger rules in place to prevent any misconduct. We are now in a much stronger position to identify and sanction wrongdoing. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guests, Times Beijing correspondent Didi Tang and Times and Sunday Times columnist Matthew Syed. And you can read more of Didi and Matthew's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer was Edward Drummond, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. And if you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimesatthetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.